morning, Springbrook. Welcome, welcome to the house of the Lord for worship. For those of you that are coming in and finding your seats, we are so grateful that you are with us this morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Bethany and I am the worship director here at Springbrook. And it is my honor to be the first this morning to welcome you. Well, second, you met some lovely greeters out in the lobby as well. I get to welcome you this morning. It is truly a privilege to be with you. If it is your first time with us or maybe your first time back in a long time, a special, special welcome to you. For those of you who are worshiping with us online, I want to remind you that as always, we have online hosts who are standing by, available all throughout the service to answer any questions you might have, and specifically to pray with you. No matter where the Lord has you this week, we want you to feel connected to this community. And so I encourage you to participate in the chat throughout the service and use that request prayer button if you want to talk to one of our online hosts in a private one-on-one chat. Well, friends, I am very excited because we are entering into a new series this week on the topic of worship. And I have spent my entire adult life studying and learning and diving deep into worship. So as you can imagine, it is my favorite topic in the world. And so I'm excited for what the Lord has for us together as we dig deeply into what worship is and how to live lives of worship to God. This morning, I'd love to invite you now to stand, if you are able, for our call to worship. Our call to worship for today comes from John chapter 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's lift our voices together in worship this morning.
sings out together. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus.
Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God.
shall soon dissolve like snow the sun forbear to shine but God who called me here below will be forever mine will be today because you've called us here. We worship you at your own invitation. We are able to love you because you loved us first. May we make no mistake. May we remember that we worship as a response to you, to who you are, to the goodness that you have poured out on us. We don't have to beg you to show up here today. You are with us. You are present. And so we ask even now that we would have an increased awareness of how close to us you are. We come to worship you. We come even though we are tired, even though we messed up majorly this week even though we are broken even though we are having trouble trusting you and believing that you are still good Father we thank you that we don't have to clean up our act we don't have to have all the answers we don't have to have it all put back together before we are invited to come we thank you for Jesus, for his body broken, for his blood poured out, for the cross and the empty tomb, which made a way for us to come before you boldly. We come before your throne of grace boldly and with confidence, knowing that you are here and that you hear us, that you see us, that you care for us. I lift up each person in this room, each heart, each story that's represented for all of those who are worshiping from far away. God, you know what we're facing. You know where we are strong and you know where we are weak. You know where we've been seeing victory and when we have been facing utter defeat. So will you come near, Holy Spirit, to each person right now? Give us a sense of your love for us, a sense of your closeness to us. Remind us of our dependence on you so that we might take a deep breath and just fall back into you knowing that you are still God. You are still in control. Holy Spirit, we depend on you so completely, even for our next breath. And so we need you now. As we prepare to hear from your word this morning, we rely on you to open our eyes to see, to open our ears to hear, to open our hearts to receive what you have for us in your good and perfect word. 
that we might leave here this morning looking a little bit more like Jesus, knowing a little bit more of who we are and to whom we belong. Father, be honored in this place, we pray. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. And you may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Rebecca, and it is my pleasure to welcome you here this morning. Um, If you're here in the sanctuary with us in person or online, it is so great to have you be a part of our worship this morning. So we exist here at Springbrook to glorify God and to uh, equip believers and to reach others for Christ. And we believe that God is right here in our midst this morning as we get gathered together to worship, and we just pray that you'll feel encouraged by that. And one of the other things that we strongly believe in here at Springbrook is the power of community. Um, And so one of the first things that you can do to be a part of that community is to fill out your your connection card for everybody here in the sanctuary. We've got in each row, every seat, or each seat, each row has an online connection card, a connection card. Online people have an online connection card. If you click on the right-hand corner there, you can go ahead and fill that out. So sorry. Sorry. We uh, use that to help better serve you and to help you, guide you um, into different ministries within um, Springbrook here. And we just want to be able to get that chance to help guide you, to show you what we have available where you guys can connect and become part of our community. Uh, Next, we have this Tuesday, August 10th, we have a church-wide prayer coming up. Um, This is our back-to-school effort. We're going to gather together and pray for our children. We're going to pray for teachers. We're going to pray for schools. So if you're a parent or a grandparent, we invite you to come on out uh, this Tuesday for that. It's going to be a great way to send our kids off into the new school year. Um, So please look forward to that. Um, We also have our two-week starting point class coming up. This is a great place to, yes, you guessed it, start um, finding out where you can uh, and volunteer here at Springbrook. Um, find out where you fit in. Learn about some of the ministries we have to offer. That's going to start on August 18th. That's a Wednesday. It's a two-week Zoom workshop. Um, so whether you're new here or just looking for a way to fit in, this is a great opportunity to f- find that. And finally, um, our seniors of Springbrook, our SOS team, um, they're getting together this Tuesday. So if you're 55 or plus, they're getting together for lunch and for games this week. It's going to be a fun time. So please come on out. I believe that starts at 1, yep, goes from 1 to 3 this Tuesday. So Tuesday's a busy day, but it's going to be totally worth it. Um, So uh, come on out for the Springbrook uh, Seniors of Springbrook event this Tuesday. At this time, it's my pleasure to invite Pastor Rich out as we dive into our new series, The Heart of Worship. Outstanding. Thank you, Rebecca. Well, I am so excited about this new series that we're starting on worship, and I hope you are as well. I just wanted to give you a quick update. I went from a green band to a yellow band. So I'm being cautious with my social distancing. I just want to let you know that our elders and our leadership team I'm monitoring closely uh, the things that are happening in our community. So I want to encourage you um, to please be sure to, uh, to visit our website occasionally for any updates on our ministry. If we have to make any ministry changes, um, you just go to springbrook.org um, slash updates. We have a statement there. So I just want to encourage you to continue to pray uh, for our ministry, pray for our community, and of course be praying for our nation as we continue to weather these next few weeks. It's been a long year and a half, hasn't it? 
And I am so excited about the opportunity for us to focus on God uh, for what he has for us, especially as we think about this topic of worship. It's also been exciting to be able to see how God has been working in and through the lives of people at Springbrook. I love the Springbrook Stories segment. I've had an opportunity to hear about where God's working. I just want to encourage you that if you have a story you'd like to share, I want to encourage you to please uh, let us share that uh, with our congregation. We'll, uh, we'll bring you in. We'll do a video. You can come up here on the stage with me. Or if you'd like, you can just give me your story, and I'll share it with you. Uh, just go to springbrook.org slash stories. Uh, you can fill that out. Let me know if you've uh, got a story you'd like to share. Just last week, I was talking, I've talked to three people that just said, wow, that is a God story. You know, it was so encouraging to be able to see how God is moving in and through the lives of people. I know we had a man that was working with our facilities team. We were blessed by a family. We were able to turn a blessing on to him, and he was able to pass that blessing on to his son. And he's having an opportunity to talk about his relationship with Christ. And, and I was like, man, we, we got to share that story. I couldn't get him to come out on the stage with me, so I told him I was going to give him a little peek. Then we had a lady that was traveling last week, and, and she got stuck on, on Spirit Airlines. I don't know if you know what happened last week, but she was just fervently praying. God saw her through, uh, got her back home. And even if they got stuck, I know God is working in and through the lives of people, no matter what circumstances are going on in their lives. God is sovereign when things are going well, and even when things are not going well. I know a lot of people that are in the hospital, they're, they're sick or maybe have lost loved ones. And in the midst of that, they're able to talk about the peace of God that transcends all understanding that's covered them. This past week, I was talking to a, a gentleman that um, we had an opportunity uh, to be a part of supporting through our the Timothy Initiative. Um, we are planting churches uh, in India and Nepal, Africa, around the globe. Um, we had a gentleman, Deepak Tamang, who was one of the gentlemen that came up through our church planting assessment with the TTI. He has recovered from COVID. He's out in the jungle reaching people for Christ. He had he slipped. He broke his meniscus on his leg. He's had surgery. The man has been through so much this year. But in spite of that, he continues to tell stories of where God has been at work. In fact, last week, 10 people made faith commitments and came to Christ. And so it was so encouraging for us to be able to celebrate that with him. I mean, because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness, we're able to be a part of that work. We're part of not only what God's doing in the U.S., not only in our region, not only in our church, but what God's doing around the world. You know, it, I could, it, Deepak is such a neat guy. You know, at the beginning of the year, he was praying that his ministry would be able to reach 25,000 people. Think about that for a minute. He's praying to reach 25,000 people. He had 10 last week. It has been so encouraging to see the way that God has gone before him in reaching people with the hope and the good news about Christ. And that convicts my heart. You know, I'm praying that our ministry would be able to reach at least one person a week for Christ. I'm praying for 52 people that would come to faith in Christ. He is praying to reach 25,000 people. And that just is something that is so encouraging to me to know that God is so much bigger and is able to do so much more than all we can ask or imagine. Our vision of God is too small. And as we come together this morning to celebrate what God's doing through worship, we're going to take some time to focus on Him and what He's doing in our lives. This happened to me last week. I became a grandpa, number two. Silas, newborn baby, I know. So I'm getting gray. I'm, feel, I'm getting older. I don't quite feel it, but it's happening around me. <laughs> I love being a dad. I love being a grandpa. It's so encouraging to be able to see how God works. The week before this, I had an opportunity to go camping. 
was an opportunity for me to get away, kind of work on our sermon series. It was so good uh, to be able to enjoy a vacation. I watched online with many of you, and I have a hard time with online, so I'm an in-person guy. I need to be around people. But I'm so grateful for our online ministry. If you're watching with us this morning, we are so glad that you are with us. And the week before that, I was trimming the trees. I was up 40 feet up in the air. The tree was on top of my house, and so I'm up in the air. I'm trimming away, and this is my lovely bride, Carolyn, down here in the bottom. You see her down there? She's got her hand on her hip, and she's waving. Hey, you're not cutting straight. So she's yelling at me. I'm like, huh? And so we've got this whole dialogue going on, and she says, you're not cutting straight. And I'm like, I've got the handle. I'm going straight up. I'm going straight up. I am cutting straight. So we're having this argument from 40 feet up in the air. You're not cutting straight. She said, well, it might be straight, but you're too far into the tree. So I backed up, and sure enough, I was too far. I was cutting straight, but I was way <laughs> into the tree. I backed up. I was like, oh, oh, wow, she was right. You know, sometimes we just need a different perspective. I am cutting straight. Yeah, but you're in the wrong spot. You know, sometimes we just need a different perspective. We need to look at things a little bit differently. I'm going to give you a word, and I want you to, uh, to turn to the person next to you. I want you to say the first thing that pops into your mind after I say the word. If you're watching online, you can shout it out because there's nobody there to hear you. If you're sitting next to somebody, you know, they'll tolerate you. Or in fact, if you're watching online, type it in the chat. I want to know what your first word is that pops into your mind when I say this word. Are you ready? The word is worship. What's the first thing that popped into your mind? Not too complicated, right? You know, something popped in there. (laughs) How many of you thought music? I mean, usually people think of music when they think of worship. That's not uncommon. Or maybe you thought maybe it's worship and teaching. Maybe it's what we do on Sunday morning. You know, for sometimes, you know, when I talk to people about worship, it's like, well, worship is everything. Everything's worship. Well, there's some truth to that. You know, but there's also some very specific things when we look at the Bible with regard to what worship is. And so we want to pull back a little bit, and we want to look for the next four weeks to the biblical perspective of what worship is. Webster's Dictionary defines worship as a form of religious practice with its random creeds and rituals. And so it's kind of this random, arbitrary, religious practice. It also defines it as an extravagant respect or an admiration or devotion to a person or to an object of esteem. And so there's something kind of random about worship when you talk to people in our culture. Even within the church, there's some confusion about, well, what does worship really look like? But the Bible is really specific about what worship is. When you look at worship from a, from a biblical perspective, to worship means to, to bow down. It means to have a, a reverent fear. It means to serve. It means to publicly praise or to have reverence towards something. From a biblical perspective, we worship, we do these things towards God. There is a correct way for us to worship, and that is for us to take our our reverence, to take our service, to take our praise, to take our adoration and put it towards God and direct it towards Him. So there's a correct way for us to worship. And then there's also an incorrect way to worship. And that is any time we put anything before him. And so if we are bowing down, if we're showing reverence for, if we're serving, if we're living fear of something other than God, then it's an incorrect form of worship. There's a right and a wrong way to worship. 
And so this morning, we want to look at God's desire for us and what worship is. The most common understanding of what worship is is to bow down. You know, Psalm 99.9 says, We are to exalt the Lord our God, and we are to worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. God is holy, and he alone is worship, is worthy of our praise. And so when we look at worship, we need to look at that from a biblical perspective at what it means to have that directed towards him. And for the next four weeks, we're going to explore biblical worship as it was intended, both for God's glory and for our encouragement. Today, we're looking at God's desire for our worship. And so if you brought your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of John. We're in chapter 4. If you are online with us, there's a place for you down at the bottom. You can click that Bible tab. You can open up the Bible, and you can read along with us online. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, then I just encourage you to, to listen with me as we read through John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Jesus had heard that, um, you know, that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making more disciples than John. So Jesus left Judea. He departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Now, it wasn't from the perspective that there was anything wrong with her intrinsically. The Jews and the Samaritans didn't get together. They were a different sect. The Samaritans didn't hold all of Scripture. They only only held the first five books of the Bible. And so there's some theological differences between Jews and Samaria. And there was a lot of animosity between the two. And typically, Jews did not want anything to do with the Samaritans. And so she's wanting to know, how is it that you can be asking me for a drink? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a well, a spring of life that leads up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me that water so that I will not be thirsty again or have to come here again to draw water. You know, it's interesting because at this point, you know, Jesus has got somebody that has recognized that he is offering living water. At this point, Jesus has somebody that's wanting to know, hey, how can I have what you're offering? You know, and, and I think today, if it was me and somebody had come to me say, and said, hey, how do I have this living water? How do I have a relationship with Christ? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, hey, you just need to believe that Jesus is God. You know, confess that he's God, that he died on the cross for your sins, asking to come into your life, and, and, and he'll be your Savior and your Lord. And so when you come to this portion of the scripture, it's really interesting to see what Jesus does here because she's asking about how can I have the living water? He's, he, she's asking about 
hey, how can I experience this salvation? And look what Jesus says to her in verse 16. Go call your husband and tell him to come here. The woman answered him, I don't have any husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. Kind of an awkward moment, isn't it? Hey, tell me about how to have this living water. Well, first of all, let's talk about this adulterous relationship that you're in. Let's talk about all the husbands that you've had. You know, that's something that is uncomfortable for us to talk about. But when we talk about Jesus as Savior, he's also a Lord. And so he wants to speak into her life as Lord as well, not just a Savior. And the woman says to him, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Let's just not talk about that. (laughs) I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. This is the place where we ought to be worshiping. Where are we supposed to worship? In other words, hey, let's not talk about my adulterous relationships here. Let's talk about worship. And so she kind of shifts the subject. Jesus, moving along with her, says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he's going to tell us such things. Jesus said to her, I am who you speak to. I am he. Now, there's a lot happening in this passage. We're going to look at some of these key characteristics that are happening as we you know, look back on this passage. But I want to focus on verse 23 for a moment. Because Jesus, in the course of this whole dialogue, focuses us on what worship is to be about. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You know, we worship neither here nor in Jerusalem. Worship is no longer based on a location. There was a point at which they were taking sacrifices to the altar to worship God. In fact, the Samaritans didn't worship that God. They created their own altars. And so you have all this sacrifice going on It's a part of their worship to God that is very dependent on a location. And Jesus says it's no longer going to be dependent on a location for you to be able to worship. In Matthew 27, when Jesus gave up his his last breath, he cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The hour is now here. Worship is being redefined. And God is giving for us a model for what he desires for us in our worship. First, we know that worship is no longer dependent on a location. Jesus says that the hour is now. The hour is here. And we know that when we talk about worship, there's a sense that we can worship right now. You don't have to wait to go to temple. You can worship God now. You see, worship engages real life. Our worship engages 
real life. You know, God is able to be worshipped at any time during the day in spite of all of our circumstances. No matter what's going on, no matter what's going on in your life, you're able to step back, you're able to stop, and you're able to worship God. If you think about the passage we just read, Jesus is walking through um, Samaria. You know, he is walking through a place that typically he would not want to be. You know, sometimes you might find yourself in a spot where you just don't want to be there. But you know what? You can still worship God. You can worship God no matter what location you're in. You might find yourself in a place that you don't want to be, but you can still worship. Jesus is walking through. He left Judea. He's headed towards Galilee, and he's passing through Samaria. He doesn't really want to be there. It's a place that Jews typically don't go. But there he finds himself in a place that typically you would not find somebody that was Jewish. You know, he gets to the well, and it says in verse 6 that Jesus was wearied as he was from the journey. And so he was sitting beside the well. You know, he was tired. He was tired. He'd been walking all day, and he was tired. And, and in spite of our well-being, no matter how tired you are, you, know, you can still worship. You know, our worship engages real life. The time is now, and it doesn't matter what location you're in. It doesn't matter how tired you are. You can still worship. Jesus is tired. His disciples are hungry. You know, the disciples had gone away into the city to, to buy food, it said in, in uh, verse 8. Down in verse 9, you know, we see that there's this Samaritan woman who said to me, how is it that you, a Jew, can ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? You know, sometimes you might find yourself talking to being around people that you might necessarily not want to be around or people that you're uncomfortable with. Guess what? It's an opportunity for you to be able to worship and maybe point somebody else to Christ. You know, you can worship in spite of your circumstances, no matter where you are, no matter how tired you are, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how many needs you have, no matter who you're around, you can still worship. In verse 18, Jesus asked her about the husband's Jesus said, go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. I know, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with right now is not your husband. There's a sense of our encounter with Christ, our ability to worship Jesus is not dependent on our perfection. God already knows we're messed up. Jesus already knows the conditions that she lives in. You know, Jesus is encountering her in a real-life situation. For so many people, Worship is nothing more than coming to church on a Sunday morning. You come on Sunday, you worship. Thank you for worshiping with us, and then we go home. And then we're going to come back next Sunday to worship. And so worship, for most people in our culture, in our community, think of worship as an event, and it's not. It's about a relationship and being able to come before a God that loves us and wants to have a relationship with us at any time, in spite of our circumstances in spite of the conditions that we find ourselves in. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that God meets me where I am at. I don't have to clean myself up. God's not looking for perfection. I don't have to wait till I get a good night's sleep before I can do a devotion. I don't have to wait until I'm in the perfect conditions to share my faith. You know, God can use me no matter where I'm at, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what's happening. God is able to work in and through us to accomplish his purposes as we focus on him. What we're doing right now, this is corporate worship. This is important, and we're going to talk about corporate worship next week. There's something that is vitally important about what happens when we come together in corporate worship. 
But you can worship God right now, where you're at, anytime, no matter what the circumstances are in your life. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul writes, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father. Find joy in your circumstances. Our joy in our circumstances coming from knowing who we belong to and what is the object of our faith. Worship engages real life. The second thing that we know is that worship engages our minds. Worship engages our minds. We have to think about what we're doing. You did not just show up here by accident this morning. You thought, hey, I'm going to go to church this morning and I'm going to worship God. And so you had to intentionally think about what you were doing. You know, worship is something that you do with intentionality. You know, Jesus found himself sitting at the well. You see in verse 6, he was worried and he was sitting at the well. It was about the sixth hour. I mean, it is the middle of the afternoon. It's hot. We know that the Samaritan woman was coming there because of her lifestyle, because of the way that she's been looked down on. And so she wanted to come to the well when she knew nobody else was going to be there. What's Jesus doing there? I mean, I'm hot and tired. I'm looking for some shade. I mean, I was outside yesterday. I was walking around. I was talking to somebody. I'm thinking, it's hot. I was looking around for a tree. You're not going to find me sitting in the middle of the sun at the sixth hour waiting to talk to somebody. But Jesus knew that he had an appointment. Jesus was, was, was there with intentionality and with a purpose. And so our worship is something that we need to engage our minds for. You know, in verse 10, verse 10, uh, she says, you know, if you, he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me, you would ask me for a drink. If you knew who you were talking to, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us a well and drank from it himself. Jesus is engaging this woman in a conversation. He's having a conversation about what it means to have a drink. He's talking about the well. He's talking about, you know, where am I going to get this living water? This is a conversation that is requiring some thought. You know, Jesus is making reference to things that are going to be familiar to her. They're having a conversation about drinking. Not only is he there intentionally, but he's there to have a conversation and they're engaging in conversation. Then he takes it up a notch in verse, in verse 13 when he talks about thirsting. Everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsting again, but whoever drinks from the water I give him will never be thirsty again. That's kind of a lofty thought. And she continues to engage in conversation with him. They're sitting there having a mental conversation about where it means to get water, whose well this is, what does it mean to have you know, water that you're never going to thirst again. And then when he talks to her about the, the relationship that she has with her five husbands and the, and the man she's living with, in verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And so she, now she's pulling in from further experience. I see that you're a prophet. And all of a sudden, she's confronted with how she's living, and she's confronted with you know, what God's standard is for relationships. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that she kind of shies away from that topic. She's not trying to explain herself or rationalize herself, but she knows that there's something about him and what he's saying to her that has caught her attention. And they're dialoguing about it. And she's having to think about it. And she's moved into engaging with her mind in this conversation. I see that you're a prophet. God has standards for us 
And then we, we live our life out. And our lives need to match up to these God's standards. And that's not something that you do haphazardly. When you think about the call that God places on us, when you think about the relationship that we've been called into, following Jesus is not a pastime. I mean, it's not something you do with your extra time. Having a relationship with Christ changes the way you view yourself. It changes the way you view God, and it changes how you live out your life. And you have to think intentionally about what you're doing there. You know, when I first went into ministry, I, had to, I went to talk to my wife. I've told this story a couple of times, but it was really a life transformer. I said, hey, I'm thinking about going into ministry. He said, well, what are you going to do for a job? I was like, well, God's going to provide. And so I did not leave a career to go into ministry without thinking about it. I had to engage my mind in this process. You know, God had placed a call on my life. And you don't have to leave. You know, you might be thinking about, hey, I'm going to take another job because God's got something more for me. Or maybe you're struggling in a relationship that you have and you think, you know what, this relationship is not healthy. You know, God has a design for marriage. God has a design for our relationships. And you might find yourself in a relationship with somebody or in a workplace environment that you know something's not right. And, and what you know about God in the Bible might be calling you to step out into something different. And that involves you engaging your mind. You have to think about that activity. You need to think about, hey, who can I have praying for me? Who can I talk to about what's happening here? Worshiping God is all about engaging our minds. Christians do not leave their brain on the shelf. Christianity is about knowing that the grave was empty. It's about knowing that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, that his body was gone. There's, if you look at Christianity, it just makes sense. If you use your mind. There's some realities that come to bear on our lives as we read through scripture. And as we worship, it's very much a truth issue. Our lives need to be in line with what God has for us so that we can worship him rightly. You know, what is worship? You know, where do I go? In verse 20, the woman's talking to Jesus about where to worship. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you say we need to worship in Jerusalem. Is that the place where people ought to worship? And so what is worship? Where do we go? And so the Samaritan woman poses up for us the question about what is worship and where do I need to go and what does it look like? And Jesus answers that with the, you need to worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is the Messiah. And he's given us instructions for how to worship his heavenly father. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he's going to tell us all these things. Jesus says, guess what? I'm speaking to you now. I am he. I am telling you what it means to have a relationship with me and my father and to be dependent on the Holy Spirit and how to worship. True worship engages the reality of our daily lives. True worship guides our worship. You know, true worship is focused on a God who is holy and is perfect. You know, true worship requires us to think about who he is. It also requires us to step back and evaluate ourselves. We are fallen. We are broken. We're messed up. Our circumstances are messed up. Our community, everything's messed up about our lives. But we are loved by God. Amen? We are loved by God. He is holy and perfect, and we're fallen and broken. And the fact that he even wants to have a relationship with me is cause for celebration. We're able to worship the Father only through our relationship with Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. We pray to our Father in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. 
We're giving him his rightful place in our lives. You know, we are able to pray through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Even when you don't know how to pray, Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit will intercede for us on our behalf. We pray to our Father, and we pray in Jesus' name, and we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And that's how our worship is based as well. We worship the Father. We get to that worship through our relationship with his Son. And we are dependent on our worship as the Holy Spirit works in and through us. All three persons of the Godhead are are actively a part of our worship and our prayer. Jesus saves us from our sin. He brings us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. But Jesus is also our Lord. And lordship is a heart issue as we submit ourselves to Christ and to his word. Genuine worship is rooted in the reality of our daily lives. It engages our minds, and it also engages our hearts. Genuine worship engages our minds, but it also must engage our hearts. That's what true worship is about. It's, about a, it's a heart issue. And that's where the lordship issue comes into play. In verse 16, Jesus said, Go call your husband and tell him to come here. I have no husband, Jesus said to her. You're right, saying you have no husband. You know, God says that there's a way that we're to live our lives. Now, the woman is not able to engage at this point into conversation about how she's living her life. But the reality is, is that Jesus didn't just let her off the hook by saying, let me save you and give you this water that really, you know, will never make you thirst again. He addresses the issue of how she's living out her life because there's a lordship issue that is critical that must come to bear on our lives if we're going to worship God rightly. Worship is about the lordship issue as well. I'm not just celebrating and excited that Jesus saves me. I'm excited about that. Don't get me wrong. I know where I'm going. Praise God. At my funeral, it's going to be a celebration. I told my family they don't think it's funny, but I think it's funny. I think it's, I think it's great. I want you to pass out keychains at my funeral. He's not here. He's at heaven. You know, celebrate my life. I know where I'm going. Jesus saved me. Jesus is a savior. But he is also our Lord, which means we need to submit to him. We need to evaluate our lives based on what we find in Scripture. If God says to live this way, that's truth. If we choose to live another way, that's heart or spirit. We know what we need to do. We need to pray that God would increase our faith so that we can do what we really need to do. Does that make sense? People typically know what they need to do. All the conversations I have about people knowing God's will. I really want to know what God's will is in this. It's like, well, let's see what Scripture has to say. Well, hang on a second. Can you just tell me something I want to hear? (laughs) Most people know what they need to do. There is a sense of right and wrong that moves us. We just need the faith to do it. You know, I would love to make a faith commitment, but what does that mean for my family? I'd love to get baptized, but oh my gosh, you can't imagine what's going to be like in my family if I get baptized. I made a faith commitment. I got baptized. There wasn't one person in my family that encouraged me in my faith walk. Family thought I joined a cult. 
thought I'd left this church, I was going to go to hell because I wasn't going to this church anymore. The only people that I had encouraging me to get baptized were the guys that I had met at church. I mean, I knew I wanted to get baptized. I knew it was the right thing to do, but man, there's, but I've got all these relationships. You don't know what this is going to mean. It's like, yeah, I know exactly what it's going to mean because following Christ has a cost. You know, we have to put him first. There's a way that we're to live our life, and then there's a reality of what we see in our lives, and in the middle is the heart. The biggest difference, the biggest distance in our lives is that distance from the head to the heart. We know we just need to do it. It's a heart issue. Worshiping is a heart issue, and genuine worship, real worship, engages our hearts. You know, I can give somebody my opinion, but at the end of the day, each one of us is going to Stand on our own before God. Scripture informs how we are to live our life. In verse 24, it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. We need them both. We need the intellectual part of us that says, I understand who God is. I understand my need. I'm here to worship him. There's some biblical realities that need to come to bear in our lives. We want to we grow in our knowledge of God and his word. There's truth that needs to come to bear in our life. But without love, without that heart issue, truth is nothing more than a clanging symbol. It's nothing more than a loud noise. Our hearts need to be changed. And we need to worship him in both spirit and and in truth. And it is so easy. It is so easy for us to get out of balance. For some people, the truth part is easy. For some people, it's just like, just, just tell me what I need to know in here. You know, for some people, truth is easy. For some people, the spirit, the heart part is easy. You know, and it's really easy for us to get out of balance, but we need both. In Acts chapter 17, Paul runs into some people. They have the spirit part down, you know, they're worshiping, but they need some truth. Paul says, I, what I passed along, I observed, I observed the objects of your worship. They're worshiping. They're there. Their heart's there. But I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, Jesus Christ, is God. You know, you're worshiping the wrong God. They got the heart part there, but they need the truth. You know, I have... You know, <laughs> I love to engage in conversation with people that knock on my door to talk to me about Jesus. (laughs) There are some people that find, you know, they they use the Bible, they've got an agenda, it's not scriptural. Um, The devotion of some people that don't understand that Jesus is God. If he's not God, then we're still dead in our sins. Jesus is God, and if he's not God, we're in trouble. And if you don't believe Jesus is God, you can't come trying to teach us something different. And so... Yeah, I'm going to say it. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, I've got some good friends in both. So, you know, they are worshiping the wrong God. And, 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 but their devotion is unbelievable. Do you realize? It'd be like, okay, you can, you can come to church next week, but before you come next Sunday, I want you to go to six neighbors, and I want you to tell them about Jesus Christ before you come to church Sunday. Are you going to do that? They do. Their devotion is exemplary. They are genuinely wrong. They need truth. There's a heart part there. There's something happening there. Sometimes we just need truth. And if we're not careful, we let our feelings and our emotions and and the things that are innate about us carry us away from the reality of what's true. Sometimes we just need truth. And then sometimes we need heart. 
Sometimes we've got the truth, we've got that down, but we need heart. Some people know the truth about Jesus, but their heart is wrong. Some people know every passage of Scripture, they quote it, they tell it, they, they know this, but then they don't have a love for God and a love for others that's exemplary. So we just, we get out of balance. It's not, it's not, it's not a, I'm not going to say it's, it's wrong, but it needs to be corrected because we all have tendencies one way or another. Sometimes people just need a spirit. They need a Holy Spirit to work in and through them to release what they know to be true in their minds. Mark chapter 10, we see that uh, Jesus was on a journey. A man ran up to him. He's a rich young ruler. A man ran up to him. It wasn't just a casual thing. He ran up to Jesus and he knelt before him and said to him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You think the guy knew who Jesus was? He knew who he was. He ran to him, he knelt before him, and he wanted to know what he needed to do to have eternal life. And he thinks he's in good shape with Jesus. His relationships are all good. He's looking at the Ten Commandments, and he said, look, I've I've honored my father and mother. I haven't committed murder. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. He looks at all the relational Ten Commandments in terms of how he relates to others and says, I'm all good, right? And Jesus says to him, look, there's something you're missing. I've done all of these things from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him, had compassion. It's almost an empathy and said to him, you lack one thing. You're lacking something. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And what does he do? He's disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions Jesus said there's something lacking in your life. You know, those first four commandments are about having no other gods before him. He wasn't quoting that one. You shall not make for yourselves an idol. He wasn't quoting that one. We don't know about the misusing the names Lord in vain or we don't know if he had a regular day of Sabbath. <laughs> I don't know, maybe he showed up on Christmas and Easter. I'm not sure. It's silent on that one. But the point is, is that he was taking the six commandments that were all related to how he related to other people and said, hey, I'm good, right? I'm good with everybody. I'm good with you, right? And he says, no, you're missing something. You've got a heart problem. You have something in your life that is more important than me. And if you really want to worship me, if you really want to experience the fullness of life that I'm offering, if you really want to follow me, got to get this out of your life. You've got something that is more important in your life and it needs to go. I have that. There's one thing that's missing. Real worship engages every aspect of our life, our hearts, our minds, and it engages the reality of where we're living on a daily basis. Real worship engages, I said, a real life issue. It engages our minds and it engages our hearts. And so let me ask you this morning, where are you? I mean, where are you in the balance scale? I have a tendency to maybe lean more towards the heart, Myers-Briggs, I'm a feeler. You know, so I, if I'm not careful, I make decisions sometimes that may be a little bit more emotional. I get just enough information that I feel like I can make a good decision. I need people around me that really are into details because I'll get four or five details. I'll say, yeah, let's go with that. I need somebody else to say, well, you need four or five more. And so I have a tendency, I have a bent that's usually, you know, maybe more towards hearts. And so I try to surround myself with people that are more engaging with their minds. So we, need, we, all, we all need to be balanced. And so where are you? you? 
if, if I were to ask you this morning when you came in, you know, let's just say you leave here and somebody says, hey, how was the worship service this morning? What are you going to say? Well, the music was good, but no, that guy teaching, man, he was all over the place. And so did you connect with the worship and then the, the teaching parts off of it? Or sometimes people will say, man, I am just here for the teaching. I'm going to let a couple of those worship songs get out of the way. Don't ask me to raise my hands. You know, I'm just here for the teaching. We all have a bent. It's just a reality. It's not, it's just to say, it's, and it's okay. It's okay, to, it's okay to say, hey, I've got a bent in this direction. But I want to encourage you, when it comes to the topic of worship, to think about where you need to grow. Because what you experienced here this morning, what you experienced any Sunday morning that you're with us or someplace else, what you experience in your worship with God during the week, through your devotion, through your prayer life, just how many times you think about him, your whole worship experience is based on what you bring to the table. And so if you're having a bad day or if you're having a bad experience, then it's a good opportunity for you to step back and say, hey, why am I having this experience? I know God's word is not empty. God's word never goes out void. It's always going to do its work. And so I know that about Scripture. I know that when we are focused and poised and we're humbled before God with our music, that no matter what song Bethany and the team have chosen, that it's going to lead me into the presence of God. I might have some songs that I like better than others, but I am not dependent on song selection for my ability to connect with a God that loves me because I've connected with him at a heart level. Bethany, you do a great job picking out songs. If you've got songs that you like to hear, she spends a lot of time doing that. It does, whatever she picks, I'm going to love. I'm really easy in that area. Oh, that's a great song. Every song's a great song in my mind because it leads us into the throne room of God. But a lot of times we get, that, we get tripped up on that. We let song selection, we let our preferences, we let how we feel, we, let, we, we get in our own way. Whatever song is being sung, go with it. Whatever passage is being read and studied, let it evaluate your life. A fool looks in a mirror and goes away, sees something on his face, and goes away without fixing it. God's word is never going to come back void. And so I would hope that with your time together this morning, that you have a sense of, hey, I have encountered God both through the music portion of the service and through the teaching. We want to help people to engage and have a relationship with a God who loves them and cares about them and wants them to seek him and worship him in spirit and in truth. So what does that look like for you? Where does your heart belong? You know, who is first in your life? Do you have a genuine relationship with Christ? You know, Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so I just got to confess. And so the, the, the mind part's going to say, well, if I do this, then I'm saved. But there's a key word that's here, Lord. He is the Lord of my life. A Lord is somebody that has authority over your life and you submit yourself to that authority. It's not just about believing that He died on the cross for my sins. It's about making him Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. It's with the heart that one believes and is justified. Your heart is what justifies you when you believe, and it's with the mouth that you confess that are saved. It takes both those working together in order for us to be able to have the assurance of salvation. I think it's not just about, well, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I'm going to claim that, and I'm going to live my life my way. 
That's not what lordship looks like. And when we worship him, we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's about placing our faith in Christ and then trusting Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And that's what we bring with our worship. We're excited to worship him because he saved saved us. We're excited to be here to worship him because we're seeking after him. And we want to worship him in spirit and in truth. Maybe this morning in your heart, you've made a genuine faith commitment. Maybe your hands and feet just aren't kind of caught up with that yet. You know, it's by this that we know the love of the children of God. You know, it is who we are together as a part of God's family and being one of his children. God loves everybody. God loves everybody. In fact, he loved every single person. He loved them enough that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for their sins. God loves everybody. But only those who have a relationship with his son, who believe that he was God, they did die on the cross in the sense that who have made him Lord, does he get to be called children? You know, so there's a difference between the love that God has for us and being a child of God and being a part of God's family. And so if you want to know who we are together, it's the love that we have for one another that gives evidence of our being believer, believers. By this, we know that the love of the children of God, when we love God and we obey his commands, it's who we are together and are encouraging each other to live out and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Not only do we have to keep his commands, but guess what? They're not a burden. There's, there's, it's, it's not a burden for me to say, oh, I really want to go out and get drunk tomorrow. It's not a burden for me to say, you know what? The Bible says, don't get drunk. That's not a burden not to get drunk for me. That's God's best for me. You know, God wants his, he's got, he's got his best in mind for us. And when we read through scripture, these are not things that are trying to suck the joy out of our life. You know, keeping God's commands enables us to experience more fullness of life. My relationship with my family, with my kids, with with my friends is better now because of my relationship with Christ. God wants more from me. And so I don't find his commands to be a burden. And so we keep his commandments. His commandments are not a burden. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We are saved by grace through faith. And we worship God in spirit and in truth. No matter where you are this morning, no matter what's going on in your life, I pray that you would be able to experience the power of God working in your life, that you would be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth that faith, you know, when we work out our faith, the truth is that, you know, faith without works is just dead. That's what James tells us in two. You know, our faith should lead our feet to be working. In 1 John uh, 5, it talks about the fact that we need to be obedient to what God's called us to do. And so this is, you know, you don't have to be here on Sunday morning. I have to go to church. You didn't have to be here this morning. You know, you don't, you don't have to be obedient to God's commands. These are things that we get to do because of who we've called to be. So as we go through this series the next few weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit more about what does it mean to worship and what does worship look like. But we know from our passage today what God's desire for us is as we worship. There's a reality of of our faith. There's a reality that worship is something that we can experience on a daily basis, and we know the importance of our worshiping in spirit and in truth. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you're not secure in that knowledge, that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. 
You can walk out of here this morning. You can turn off your TV or whatever you're watching with online. You can walk away from our time together this morning saying, I know that I'm a child of God. It's simply a matter of believing with your head and your heart the reality of what God's offering you. That's what binds us together. That's the good news and the hope that we have to share with others. You know, maybe this morning you've made that commitment and you just need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, that's something you can ask for. Father, I believe this, I know this, my, my head's right, but I just don't feel your presence. You know, if you don't feel the presence of God in your life, it's not God that moved. You know, we have things in our life that interfere with our ability to have a relationship with him. And so wherever you are this morning, I pray that you can find some balance in your relationship with Christ in a sense that you can experience the full power and benefits of being able to worship him. And so I just want to encourage you, if you've got questions about how to have a relationship with Christ, um, we'd love the opportunity to talk with you. If you're watching with us online, uh, you can just raise your hand. There's a little connect with this thing on there. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you about how to have a relationship with Christ. Maybe you just want to explore more of how can I experience the fullness of having a relationship with Christ. Wherever you are, wherever you're thinking, we want to help you to be able to engage and take in your next steps with us here at Springbrook. If you're in person with us this morning, you've got a connection card or on your uh, chair there. I just want to encourage you, you can take that out. You can put your name on the back. And then on the back of it, it just says, hey, look, I want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ. Or maybe I want to know more about how to grow in my faith. You know, we want to encourage you to explore um, just taking steps that are going to enable you to experience the joy and the power that comes from genuine worship. You know, we've got some Bibles out in our lobby this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you want to take a Bible home with you. We've got some Bibles out at the ministry center counter. We've got some journals you be able to write your thoughts down. We've got our new daily breads in that you can do a daily devotional with. And we want to encourage you to engage in worship with us. In fact, this week we're kicking off a new seven-day uh, worship plan. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, and I, I don't have the link for you, um, but if you go to our website, springbrook.org slash worship plan, um, I want to invite you to join us for a seven-day devotion on what worship is. And so you can continue to supplement our teaching this morning as you go through that devotion. Uh, each week we'll be offering you an opportunity to join up um, for one of our seven-day devotionals using that YouVersion Bible app. I'd encourage you to sign up for that. It's been so much fun. Uh, we've, we are, uh, we're moving through the year. I know many of you are doing our read through the Bible in a year, and um, I got a couple of weeks behind, so I'm trying to catch up. But it's really good for us to be able to encourage um, one another uh, as we seek to fulfill God's plans for us individually and collectively is the body of Christ. I'm so glad that you are with us today as we kicked off this series. I hope you can be with us next week as we continue to look at what worship is, specifically at what it looks like for us together corporately as the body of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. And God, I thank you for your life-saving power uh, that is at work in our lives, uh, drawing us into a closer relationship with yourself. Uh, God, I thank you for that hope that we do have. And I pray that you would um, help each of us to be able to experience you more fully in our worship. God, we want to be able to worship you in the reality of our daily lives, what it means to worship in the power of your Holy Spirit, and also the truth and the promises that you give to us through your word. God, I pray that you just continue to draw us closer to yourself. I look forward to all that you have for us. We commit this day to you for your glory and for our enjoyment. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we'd love to invite you one more time to stand if you are able as we respond in song to this word that we have received this morning.
Conquer the grave. 
you so much for being with us this morning. Receive now this word of sending from the book of Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go now in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed week in Him.